Welcome, Jim. Thought we'd uh, spend some time talking about erasing history uh, with all the monuments coming down and and other things. I uh, thought it well, might be appropriate to talk about how this is not something new, uh, and it's not even something uh, that's uh, new within the last uh, hundred years. Um, I thought back to uh, I know the the uh, pharaohs the. Egyptian pharaoh that was female that they went through and defaced all her her statues and that was only one of the times that it happened but erasing history is uh, sort of a historical trend that's been happening and uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's true. The ancients, uh, well, the ones who had achieved a, a literate society or at least a society that could leave a written uh uh, account of the uh, great achievements of the of the pharaoh or the king or whomever, uh, they did have a tendency for uh, politics, you know, partisan politics to intrude. And in the throughout most of that ancient ancient history with the Egyptians, it was basically a dynastic uh, history, like you mentioned the the female pharaoh, and also I think that was her son who also got you know rewritten. But he was fine. <laughs> Just to go show, goes to show you the truth a lot in the end. Uh, I think it was Tutankhamun, the the, the teenage uh, pharaoh, uh, the male. I think it was his mother who was the regent, and she wore you know all the apparel, and got into great uh, disputes with priests, many of whom you know died because of it. Um, never offend the priest, but that's something else. The um, yeah. It's always been a uh, a a means to uh, try and establish the power of whoever is currently in charge. And in the last century, yes, it's the communists uh, more than anyone else. Although, when mass media got started uh, in the fifth in the uh, mid nineteenth century, because of the steam press, the steam press changed everything. First came the phone, the uh, telegraph, which allowed news to be collected much more effectively and more quickly. But without the steam press, which made basically a very cheap newspaper available, and that led to advertising because, uh, you know, a, a, a wide circulation newspaper, you know, people picked up on the advertising angle very quickly. Uh, you know, before that, it was all local, you know, posting bills and, and whatnot. But now you could reach, you know, literally hundreds of thousands, millions of people soon uh, simply by uh, uh, purchasing an ad in the newspaper. And, of course, the newspapers learned that, uh, to succeed, they had to have news that was not necessarily true, but would attract the most eyeballs. And that's something that really hasn't changed for the last 150 years. The eyeballs are now attracted to a, a you know, a black mirror, as they say, uh, instead of a printed page. Uh, but it's still the same, you know, uh, uh, drive, the same compulsion uh, to attract as many uh, people as you can by any means necessary. Um there was a short golden age of the American media in the, uh, oh, I guess the second half of the uh, 20th century, where uh, American media prided itself on just reporting the news. Well, that didn't last. It rarely does. Sometimes it comes back. Uh, some people are saying that it's, it's being fought out now on the Internet. 
the internet was uh, touted initially as a way to free the media. I mean, even then, people were, were you know, the, upset, as it were, that there were only a few TV stations, and that's how most people got their news, as it were. The newspapers learned early on. Most people bought a newspaper to find out how their sports team was doing for the comics. That's the only reason I pick up a copy of the Daily News at once twice a month. Um, and uh, the uh, you know the the front page news had to be something you know totally exhilarating, uh, and that did not mean you know who signed a treaty and who was about to declare war on who. It usually meant you know uh, Hollywood star celebrities of any sort. A sex scandal is always good. Um, and that hasn't really changed. But rewriting the past has been has generally been a, a vain uh, uh, effort, which backfires sometimes in the short term. Uh, this was found out to be the case uh, with the demise of the, uh, the Soviet Union and all of its satellite, you know, uh, uh, communist states. Um, there was a huge uh, outburst of revised news, most of it a lot truer than what had been accepted as gospel, shall we say, uh, during the communist period, you know, from the 1920s until 91. Of course, Russia can't help itself. They're the people who invented, you know, they didn't invent, they, they, uh, who basically gave uh, Count Potemkin all the power to create all the fake news necessary to make foreigners believe that Russia was a huge, uh, much uh, mightier power uh, than she actually was. Something else that hasn't changed. Um, China has learned. Now, China ha- also has a long history <laughs> of trying to not so much change the past, but eradicate it. Uh, the main reason, for example, uh, Confucius or Master Kung uh, is so famous in China, in China, as well as in the rest of the world, was because uh, there was, ah, God, I gotta forget the emperor, but he was famous for destroying so much of written Chinese history, especially the writings of philosophers and and advisors and what have you. Uh, Kung, uh, Master Kung's uh, writings, many of them, uh, were basically hidden in a uh, in a uh, insulated uh, uh, wall of a building, uh, which basically stood there for a long time. I forget how long it was before somebody decided to do some renovations and found all these hidden you know, writings of uh, Master Kung, Confucius, and people saying, my God, this is good stuff, because he was one of those rare people who had you know, a gift of you know, looking at the world and saying, well, this is what's really going on, and here's a good suggestion for maybe making it a little better. Uh, even the communists, they tried to destroy uh, Confucius when they came to power, and sure enough, when they about the same time they realized that communism wasn't working, and they decided to try fascism. In other words, by having opening up the economy but keeping it a a, a police state, uh, which is the classic you know description of what we now what what is technically fascism nowadays. Anything is fascist if you don't like it. Um, but the uh, uh, the again the 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 truth eventually comes back and reasserts itself. Uh, the people who usually want to destroy history have a ulterior motive, which is usually not beneficial for anyone except themselves. Uh, it's the classic way for a a a a how should I put it an apprentice dictator uh, to establish power. I mean the uh, the communists were quite uh, you know open and been cynical about it. You know one of their sayings was you know the future is assured, the past is being rewritten. You know, another way of saying everything is in hand. Don't worry, nothing can go wrong. Um, 
you know the the uh, you know the the idea the attitude of a true believer in a uh, in a new creed that will you know fall apart and cause all and all manner of problems, which is what you know communism did. There are still a lot of people who believe in it, which goes to show you. And not only does history tend to persist, but a lot of the bad ideas that 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 uh, that that create this uh, this urge. Uh, to, to uh, basically destroy the past or simply to try and revise it. Uh, it's people who want to say, it's, I want to create a perfect state where I run things and everything will be fine, everything will be better. And of course, uh, these people are not students of history. They don't understand it. It doesn't work out that way. Uh, they should listen to people like Churchill, who observed, I think it was after he was voted out of office after World War II, that... Um, uh, democracy is the worst form of, form of government, except for all the others, uh, and, and he certainly he certainly got hoist on that petard more than once. Uh, but throughout all the ups and downs he suffered, he realized that it's the only it's the only way that works. It doesn't work perfectly. I mean, uh, he also said of the Americans American democracy uh, while he was trying to get us, you know, to help him out in the war. He says Americans always do the right thing, usually after they've tried everything else. Um, now, he was half American, so to speak, because his mother was American, and his father was a syphilitic, you know, uh, debauched uh, English, uh, you know, uh, uh, gentleman, as it were. Uh, back in those days, you could resurrect your family fortunes by marrying a, uh, a wealthy American heiress uh, who brought money and not much else uh, to, the, uh, to the family fortunes. Uh, but that's another story. The British uh, have been generally more scrupulous about uh, writing, you know, uh, decent versions of history than anybody else. I don't know if that's been a, a major uh, asset for them or not, but it's simply one of those, you know, uh, cultural quirks that has served us well. Uh, hasn't always served the British well, uh, because they were quite forthright about, you know, the, uh, the downside of colonialism. But at, at the other, on the other hand, they pointed out all the good things colonialism had done, and now the 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 uh, the Indians, for example, uh, they're starting to say, well, you know, uh, you know, they, they were they were they oppressed us, et cetera, et cetera. But without them, you know, we wouldn't have gone through the Industrial Revolution. We wouldn't have railroads. We wouldn't have this. We wouldn't have that. Um, same thing in Africa, where they only had about a century of European colonialism. Some of it was pretty bad, but a lot of it was pretty, you know, basically brought peace, ended slavery, well, ended widespread slavery. It's still active in, in Africa, as we report on our African updates. Um, but they, the, the colonial period was one for, notable for uh, economic progress and, uh, and peace, and that all fell apart. And it it took them about 20, 30 years in Africa before it became fashionable to say, you know, maybe the colonialists had some good ideas. Maybe we should revisit that. And that's still a work in progress. Um, another problem with history is that in the period before the nation state and, you know, the pharaonic Egypt was definitely a nation state. Uh, but most uh, parts of the world were collections of tribes where they didn't even have a, uh, a written uh, history. They simply had the, uh, you know, the oral tradition. Uh, and that got constantly revised depending upon, you know, who came out to, on top in the latest, you know, squabble for uh, uh, control of the tribe or the coalition or the clan or what have you. Uh, but now you have a problem uh, with uh, it being virtually impossible uh, to eliminate 
the written record. And this is this is bad for the uh, the re- revisionists because your revision, depending on how outrageous it was, will be quickly revised and <laughs> returned to you know a semblance of truth, and it will reflect very badly on you on you. And of course, we're seeing this right now uh, in the United States uh, with this uh, great war going on about uh, you know. Um, uh, the history of racism and and, uh, and racial violence in the United States, uh, and there are two very different you know narratives going on. Uh, one concentrates on the the extremely small percentage of uh, black deaths caused by uh, policemen, uh, many of them black, uh, but that's the whole point of the Black Lives Matter thing, and ignoring the fact that you know. 80 90 percent of the uh, of the of the the black violent deaths are black on black and nobody wants to really address that problem because it is well closer to home more difficult to deal with uh it, it basically unearths uh, unpleasant things um it also for example uh, it forces you to uh, examine why other you know cultures uh don't have this problem uh, why, for example, the uh, the the Asians, be they Indian or East Asian, China, Korean, uh, Japanese, what have you, uh, why they don't have the violence problem? Actually, we know this. I mean, you know, the sad thing about history is that the answers to a lot of the the questions that still vex some people have been answered a long time ago. I mean, you know, this idea of studying history systematically arose. Uh, of all places in Germany and uh, in Britain, uh, but the, the Germans are one who pushed it the hardest. Uh, uh, the Memorial Project, that was, it's called in you know in English-speaking terms, but basically, the Germans they tend to go. They, well, we <laughs> that's a that's a cultural you know thing we uh, English-speaking people put on them, but they they go at it uh, much more full bore, shall we say, than anybody else does. Um, and uh, but they they basically went around collecting all manner of uh, of uh, ancient data, you know, basically church records, you know, vital statistics, which were only in epidemiology first called vital statistics was only you know invented as it were in the mid nineteenth century in Britain, and that 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 suddenly ended you know cholera in in large cities, and that's another story. But anyway, it was basically by looking at the data. And, and and coming to, to conclusions, as it were, um, and uh, the uh, the Germans basically collected enormous quantities of data, you know, published books, and they basically saved a lot of that data because they weren't planning on, you know, trying to conquer, waging two world wars and trying to conquer the world and destroying a lot of the original data in the in the process. But it was not completely lost because a lot of it had been collected and collated, as it were, in books which spread all over the world. And so the actual data was not lost, uh, just the originals, which is a tragedy in itself. Uh, but a lot of countries like Ireland and, and part and most of Britain and what have you, uh, and a lot of the United States, where it didn't really start until about three or four hundred years ago, those old records still exist, uh, and they still, you know, uh, yield you know new insights uh, simply because there it is. Uh, one of the most important things that was discovered in this uh, searching of uh, through historical data was a lot of data <laughs> can be misinterpreted by the original, you know, uh, people experiencing it, you know, like. Uh, you know, um, uh, diseases and what have you. But the one thing you can't hide is dead bodies. Um, and so <clears throat> when there was historical research into uh, into uh, violence, 
you know, uh, murder, as it were, you know, domestic violence, not domestic in, in the household, but just, you know, uh, street, you know, uh, civil violence, as it were. Um, they found out that the, uh, that the further back you go, the more violent the society was. <clears throat> you know, we tend to lose fact of the progress that we make <clears throat> in both in terms of reducing crime rates and murder, uh, but also increasing, you know, uh, affluence. Uh, I think somebody wrote a book which actually got some traction uh, in the uh, in the in the uh, in the review industry, as it were, um, pointing out that uh, uh, poverty has been enormously, decre- you know, uh, reduced uh, in the last 50, 60 years. Uh, they, what I call the great nuclear peace, you know, once everybody, uh, the major players got nuclear weapons, you know, major war, the, those, those enormous self, those enormous destructive wars where, where massive armies go, you know, tromping back and forth across everybody's real estate, you know, destroying property, killing people and, and ruining and basically impoverishing you know, huge quantities of, uh, of the population. Um, that was no longer, uh, going on. And uh, at the same time, the uh, the Green Revolution, an offshoot, so to speak, of the Industrial Revolution, uh, followed by the uh, genetically modified foods, which encountered some religious resistance in, in many parts of the world. Religious in terms of you know uh, you know uh, anti-science you know attitudes, you know the uh, oh they're all going to turn into Franken foods. Um, that has never happened. It probably never will happen, but that's another story. Uh, <clears throat> but the, the idea of uh, growing, uh, developing crops that grow in more uh, hostile environments, uh, grow in larger quantities, uh, grow as uh, more nutritious foods, uh, one of the early uh, GMO uh, modifications was to simply add more of the certain vitamins to rice. And eliminate whole classes of afflictions in in countries where you could have an adequate diet in terms of calories, but you still have a lot of dietary uh, deficiencies, <coughs> which would give especially children <coughs> problems growing up. Well, the GMO, the modified um, uh, rice, and 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 in some cases wheat, uh, changed all that. And suddenly, as if by magic, you had generations coming up growing up. Uh, bigger, stronger, smarter, uh, more educated because there was less poverty, more children could be educated. And this happened so slowly, <clears throat> you know, it's like the old boiling a frog. You just increase the temperature bit by bit and suddenly the frog is, 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 is boiled. But it works in a positive sense. You know, all these things happen and suddenly uh, we're in a much better world. But we don't realize it. Because basically it happened so slowly uh, that, you know, we just, you know, each year said, well, so things were a little different. But if you look back 10, 20, 30 years, it's a, it's a lot different. That's why old codgers like me, and you're a junior old codger, so even you remember some of this. Uh, for example, automobile accidents. I think when you were young, you remember seeing the, uh, the windshields with the, uh, with the, uh, with the, uh, with the, with the, with the, uh, not the smash glass, but with the where the head hit the glass when the car stopped. Right. You don't see that anymore. That was a huge source of, of fatalities and of people with permanent brain damage. And a lot of the a lot of the rehab centers were full of people who basically used to be vibrant, you know, and healthy and what have you. But one bonk on a uh, on a on a windshield in a in a fender bender, you know, going with 
25 miles an hour. That's all it took. Concussion. Bingo. Out of action. Uh, tragic. Um, and seatbelts. Airbags. Airbags were a classic example of something that made, made, made unsafe driving so safe that more people drove uh, in an unsafe fashion. Uh, <coughs> not to the extent that I reversed all the good things that the airbags were doing, but it was noticed, again, by the epidemiologists, the, the, the analysts of vital statistics, that, yeah, we have far fewer vehicle deaths, but, my God, we got a lot more accidents. And, and what was happening there when they, when they basically went to the police reports or just talking to, you know, cops who covered that and doctors who covered the, you know, the people who fall out of those accidents, which would have killed their parents or, or especially their, their grandparents, um, was that these people felt fearless. I said, ah, so what if I go off a cliff? You know, the airbags will deploy and maybe I'll break something, but, you know, no big deal. Um, the, uh, uh, so you get this, 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 this slow progress, uh, especially for the better, which isn't noticed. You know, you think, well, it's always been this way. Uh, and, of course, it hasn't. And, but it can be easily reversed if you basically, uh, you know, uh, blow up the system uh, that is producing it. Uh, the, uh, for a long time, people in the, a lot of people in the West... They thought communism was the superior form of government. You know, everybody uh, got medical care. Everybody got this. Everybody got that. The Soviet Union collapsed, and they found that Soviet, the Soviet Union was in truth. I mean, talk about the Wizard of Oz. Once they got to look behind the curtain, so to speak, they realized the place was a health and ecological disaster area. The pollution was enormous. It was a state secret to reveal any you know, thing being polluted. There were areas that were still radioactive because of work done developing bombs and what have you. Uh, to this day, there are signs of certain highways, you know, closed windows, uh, move at, at top speed, you know, for the next hundred and some odd kilometers. And if you were one of those rare people who carry a Geiger counter with you, you'd have to turn on your Geiger counter and you'd see why you should close your windows and move at top speed, you know, until you get to the uh, outside the Chernobyl zone. Chernobyl is one of those zones where we know about, but there are many more in Russia, which will never, you know, uh, be clean again. There will always be close your windows, drive fast. Um, the uh, water pollution uh, is still a work in progress. China got bit by this. They, for years, said, oh, no, we are solving all the problems of, you know, <coughs> pollution and what have you. Actually, the Chinese didn't have as many problems with pollution because they were mostly a farming culture. And they had, over the centuries, developed fairly, uh, how should I put it, long-term agricultural practices, which did not cause the epidemics of, you know, widespread pollution uh, that the, uh, the, how should I put it, the industrial age um, agriculture sometimes created. Now, there are ways around all of this, and once it gets noticed, uh, the, the, uh, the industrialized nations, to their credit, have jumped on it and have fixed it. For example, I remember when I was young, <clears throat> we had a lot of uh, unused piers because everything had gone container, and that had changed the whole landscape of you know how you brought in cargo. There was no longer break bulk. In other words, the this is ancient history for most people, uh, where you basically had to send in a hundred uh, people, uh, stevedores, and they would haul out the stuff by nets and what have you, and sort it and put it on trucks. With containers, that was all changed. You'd load up a container at the source, a factory, whatever. 
lock it up, seal it, you know, with a manifest, and it would generally get delivered to one stop, a distribution center, where whatever they were carrying would be then go on to, you know, delivery to stores and what have you. Amazon has made a fortune off of this because they have taken this to another level. Uh, and people complain about Amazon all they want, but it's certainly a much more efficient and cheaper form of shopping uh, than anything in the past. And so far, it, uh, Bezos, the guy who thought it up, uh, <coughs> he realizes that if he abuses it, there will be competition that will make him, you know, a, a historical footnote. So, you know, while all successful companies and governments, as it were, uh, try to make themselves uh permanent, uh, keep it the way things are, uh, as long as there is competition, uh, you're going to have something you know, called creative destruction, where somebody more efficient will come in. Uh, now, we're seeing this sped up, as it were, by the current uh, uh, coronavirus uh, panic. By the way, that's something else that should be uh, uh, referred to as historical writing. Uh, it's tragic, really, the, the, the way this has been politicized. And I'm, again, I'm talking about facts you can look up yourself. For example, Diamond Princess. Google that. Now, that was a, uh, a cruise ship which finally was allowed to um, – uh, they were called plague ships that few months ago um, – and everybody on board, there was about a thousand people, or close to a thousand, uh, were tested for COVID-19. At that point, they had a test where they could detect who had it, who had had it, uh, and most importantly, who had encountered it and basically shrugged it off. And that happens, as we know from personal experience, every year with the influenza. Every year for over a century, well, probably for centuries, but it was only really noticed about you know, a little over a century ago, especially after the Spanish flu, uh, <clears throat> that uh, this disease comes around annually. Uh, there's no cure for it, but at the same time, it isn't, it isn't, a, it isn't a bubonic plague. It isn't an enormous killer. It does kill a lot of people. Uh, <clears throat> the Spanish flu was particularly uh, horrendous because it attacked uh, the, uh, the, the healthy, the, the, the young people who were healthier, uh, what it did was it, it played with the immune system, and the healthier, the more your body was going to basically attack itself more strenuously. Uh, so unlike most uh, flu variants, strains, and, and some years there's more than one, um, they, they basically hurt the people who are the elderly, who are already infirm, and anybody who's got an underlying condition, as they, they point out, they, who have a, a weaker immune system. But, but occasionally you have one that goes right for that basically triggers the immune system in a certain way. To a certain degree, uh, coronavirus does this. But the bottom line is uh, we quickly found out that the coronavirus is mainly a threat to people who are already sick. And a lot of people didn't want to believe that. A lot of people still don't believe that, especially that politicians. They want to shut, you know, for, you know, for a long time until there's no coronavirus. But that's going to ruin the economy, which is going to kill a lot more people. Um, and, of course, in New York State, where we have a, a bunch of real charmers running the operation, um, in New York City, they made two major mistakes. Now, granted, a city is a place where you're going to get more infections because there are more people living closer together. But two things that were known at the beginning, again, Diamond Princess, 
and various other examples of it, it, if it kills at all, it kills people with underlying conditions. Oh, by the way, the two, the two important, le- the three important lessons learned from the Diamond Princess today, and again, you can Google it and see for yourself. 80% of the people exposed to it, nothing. It's like the flu. Uh, in fact, some people, like my family, for reasons I won't go into, genetic, uh, we don't get the flu. I double-checked with my siblings. I know my mother did. She was also resistant to uh, bacterial infections. Again, it was, it was an inherited trait. Um, uh, unfortunately, that those traits didn't include good teeth and, and a lot of hair, but you can't have them all. Uh, but the, the thing was, that uh, the uh, most influenza people either they get it you, and if they check for antibodies, which they really do. In other words, one of the problems with the, the coronavirus is a lot more people are being tested. With influenza, the only ones who get counted are the ones who get serious, who die, basically. I mean, a lot of people get seriously sick. I mean, anybody who works in an office or, or a crowded environment, flu season comes along and says, oh, you know, so-and-so is, uh, is down with the flu and he's out for a couple of days and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then, then the, some people say, well, if you feel like you might have the flu, stay home for a few days until it gets over. Don't give it to everybody else. But as we've discovered <coughs> over, the, over the decades, the stuff spreads in the fall. The flu season goes from late summer uh, to early spring, and then it just goes, you know, it disappears, and another strain, you know, uh, gets brewed, usually in China, and uh, and uh, and springs forth, you know, uh, in the fall. The um, the coronavirus isn't that much more deadly than than the worst uh, regular influences we've had recently. In fact, I think the ones in the late 60, 68, 69, I think, or 67, 68, and 57, 58 were more deadly than the coronavirus. Uh, why that isn't news, I don't know. I think it's because if you want to attract eyeballs, you've got to basically go for the, you know, the gruesome. Uh, so you don't want to talk about, you know, this being, you know, a, a basically a, a, a more lethal flu, but not that lethal. Uh, that doesn't grab the head- headlines, you know. Everybody, all the rest of the media will jump on you for being, a, you know, Pollyanna, yada, yada. So the truth can get you in trouble. Um, that's another reason for revising history. Uh, you want history that is basically more uh, attractive. Uh, and so the history of America has been, you know, rewritten uh, many times since the Civil War, for example. Uh, for example, one of the great tragedies in American history was the deal made, oh, I forget the election, it was in the uh, 1870s, there was a sort of a hung election, and of course the uh, the southern states were now again you know, part of the Union, and they were all Democrats, and they were all in Congress and, and the Senate, and uh, so they basically brokered a deal, we will get, we will let your guy become president if you end the uh, Reconstruction, and 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 added to that, you know, they traded more favors. Whatever happens in the South, ignore it. We're just, you know, getting back our power, et cetera, et cetera. So the whole Ku Klux Klan, the whole Jim Crow, that was all the Democratic Party getting payback uh, for, you know, what they thought they had lost because they lost the war. It's still going on. I mean, one of the things that, that, that JFK. Well, not so much JFK, but his vice president, Lyndon Johnson, who was a powerhouse in the Congress, 
he was a Texas Democrat. It was a bit of a, even by then standards of the time, very liberal, very into, uh, you know, uh, doing right by uh, African Americans, uh, uh, Spanish, you know, Hispanic Americans, what have you. Um, it, it, without him, they wouldn't have gotten the, uh, you know, the civil rights bills and the voting rights bills, you know, through Congress. Because while the Republicans were solidly for it, they didn't have the votes. And basically, uh, Johnson had to make a lot of deals, and, and in many cases, he just simply bullied, uh, you know, uh, people he knew that he could get away with bullying, uh, to vote for him this way. Yeah, tr- things, trades were made, you know, a lot of money was wasted, as it were. Uh, there was a lot of pork uh, dished out uh, to basically buy votes. That's a form of corruption, which we tend, again, the history tends to overlook. Uh, but as Thomas Jefferson, I believe it was, I believe it was Jefferson, when uh, when the decision had been made uh, in the various meetings, you know, after we had won the the, uh, the Revolutionary War to form a government, uh, some people wanted a monarchy with Washington as the first king, and and Washington wasn't having any of that, and finally they decided on a on a republic, which is not a democracy. They based it on the old Roman Republic, which lasted 500 years, more than most other democracies until quite recently. Um, and then when people asked him, when they came out of the uh, the, the meeting where that decision was made, uh, they said, you know, Mr. Jefferson, uh, or uh, maybe it was... It was Franklin. Hey, asked, it was uh, Franklin. Franklin. Yeah. yeah. They asked him, what do we have? And he says, we have a republic, if you can keep it. And it was Jefferson who said, in order to keep a republic, you know, a, a republic alive and vibrant, you need a revolution every 20 years. Now, he wasn't talking about tearing the whole thing down. He was talking about the corruption. Because one thing even the Greeks and the Romans uh, were befuddled by was the, the, the slow growth of corruption. Where the, the, for a long time, the Romans had a system where there were problems. And, you know, for example, the poorer people... They had complaints about, you know, debt bondage and, and being enslaved, and et cetera, et cetera. But bit by bit, since they basically, you know, they formed the army. The army was composed of, uh, of uh, there weren't enough rich people to go out and fight all the wars the Romans were gotten involved in. And so the, uh, the Senate, which was, uh, it, which was uh, uh, dominated by the patricians, uh, they basically had to make concessions. And before it was over... Um, they had to share the wealth. Romans no longer paid taxes. They could not be enslaved. They could not be executed. They could be exiled, which is which is worse as far as some Romans were concerned. You'd be sent to some non-Roman part of the world. Um, and uh, there were an enormous number of benefits. That's where you got the old stories about the bread and circuses. There was a free food distribution. Uh, it was a situation similar to what the Arab Gulf oil states have done. They didn't want to end their domination, you know, the royal families, or the royal, well, actually, the royal families in each of the, there are no democracies in, in the Persian Gulf. They're all monarchies of one form or another. But they all realized, some sooner than others, that we got to share the wealth. you got to basically buy the people off. Uh, that didn't stop the calls for democratization. Some uh, states, more than others, uh, demanded, you know, more participation of all people. Uh, and we see this pattern. You, you see a pattern here, right? As once more people get wealthy, you have to face the fact that more of them will want to participate in their decisions. Uh, what brought the Roman Republic down 
And this, this basically, this nobody tried to rewrite this because well, after all collapsed, there was a lot of effort for centuries put into why did it collapse? Well, it collapsed partly for economic reasons. The wars with the Carthaginians had been so devastating, especially when the a couple of years were uh, Hannibal was uh, basically rampaging uh, back and forth across uh, Italy. Uh, the the deaths among the the what they call the yeoman class, in other words, the the independent farmers, was so heavy that a lot of them, uh, the families, they no longer had enough adults to run the farm efficiently. They're very efficient farmers. For a long time, you could not join the Roman army unless you could afford to buy the weapons, and they were expensive. That meant armor, a helmet, you know, pile them. You spent most of your uh, many 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 uh, a large portion. Uh, say a month, a year or more, training with these weapons. Uh, it was like a citizen militia, but it was organized. The Romans were very organized. And uh, that kept the Republic going for 500 years, which is, you know, that when we can look back now and say, geez, that's rare. There have been some republics, uh, some Italian and uh, the Swiss Republic and what have you, that have now surpassed that. But again, they only do it by constantly adapting and including everybody. China is now going through a very painful process of learning what republicanization, what democratization means. They have created that, 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 that deal to switch from communism to fascism meant, uh, and Deng Xiaoping, the guy who basically pushed that through after the Mao crew was all done and gone, um, said it is glorious to be rich. You know, in, in the implication being as especially if the communist party, the state got a share. Um, and uh, suddenly you had a middle class in China. They'd never had that before. You had something like, oh, nearly half the population is what, by Chinese standards, is a middle class, meaning they can afford to buy their own apartment or home, as the case may be. They can afford to often buy a small car, an automobile. If not, they got several bicycles in the family. Uh, they live well. They eat more meat. Uh, than ever before in Chinese history. They live well. They go on vacations, you know, East Asia, even, you know, the United States, you know, before the current unpleasantness, you know, was awash in Chinese tourists. You know, the ugly American was replaced by the ugly Chinese because these were people who had never gone on a foreign vacation before. They didn't know how to act. They, did, I mean, the Chinese still have this attitude that we are the, you know, the, the finest people in the world and everybody else is, you know, lesser beings, et cetera, et cetera. Let's not go into that, but that is a real problem in Asia. Ask any Asian who's not Chinese, um, and uh, but in the in inside of China, the Chinese government finally had had this democracy movement. Not just the Tiananmen Square, where basically you had the kids who were always the, you know the the pioneers and the other ones who get cut down. In this case, in Tiananmen Square, about twenty thousand of them. Uh, but uh, once they get older and they have families and they have positions in the in the economy and often in the government, uh, that you can no longer just eradicate them because if you do, you eradicate the nation's wealth. So they have power, which has to be addressed. This was the problem in Hong Kong. Uh, China felt that Hong Kong was always the wealthiest part of China, even when it wasn't part of China, especially when it wasn't part of China, when it was still uh, living under the 99-year uh, British lease, as it were, which ended in, what, 97, 96. Um, the, uh, uh, the Chinese realized that they had a goose laying golden eggs, and uh, the only way they could keep it was to basically satisfy 
the Republicans, shall we say, the people who wanted a participatory government in Hong Kong. And so they guaranteed them they could keep their foreign ways, which means, you know, participative government, you know, uh, straight, honest courts, et cetera, et cetera, uh, freedom of speech until 2047. Well, that has just been erased. Uh, the Chinese government, you know, could not put up with all this, you know, free speech in their midst. It was, it was simply too much to take. Uh, and indeed, what China has done with uh, the, uh, Mr. Ping, the current, you know, chairman, as we're emperor, as they call him behind his back, uh, what he did a few years ago was he, he basically dumped the post-Mao system where every five years the collective leadership of the, you know, the senior leadership, the Politburo, whatever you want to call it, of the senior communist uh, party leaders would select a headman, as it were. It sounds like the old Roman Republic where you, you know, elect a, a two, two, uh, you know, uh, two councils who would run the country for, well, in Roman's case, they're only for a year. But anyway, uh, five years, and then you had to basically retire and at least you retire still breathing and still with some wealth, and and a new guy would come on. Well, Zing said, "Well, this is not this is not efficient." I always get scared when people say, "Well, I have a more efficient way of doing things." That means your your life is in danger as well as everything else you might possess. Um, uh, he basically said, "No, from now on, uh, you get a good man in in that position." And he stays there as long as he remains a powerful, as long as he can basically hang out the power. He didn't put it that way, but that's what it came down to. Well, now uh, Mr. Xi is is in danger of losing his power because he's lost control of the country. Uh, the the as we all know, uh, the news of coronavirus first came out of China. There was panic in in Hubei and in, in Wuhan, a major city there, where it first came out. They had tried to suppress it. Shades of Chernobyl. Uh, and uh, but it spread and apparently it's still popping up. Uh, we still have aren't getting straight answers out of China because again they're trying to rewrite the past, the recent past, and it's proven difficult. Uh, China spends billions of dollars a year trying to control the internet. They have created their own internet. You can get access to the World Wide Web, but the Chinese intranet, as it were. Uh, is tightly supervised. It isn't completely free because basically you've created a generation of internet users. In fact, I think that the largest single ethnic group on the internet are Han Chinese. But you've created a group of internet users who have become very expert in evading uh, censorship. Uh, so be careful what you ask for. China asked for a, 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 a more powerful censorship system, and all they got were generations, several generations of Chinese who are very clever. Uh, they're constantly changing code words, you know, memes, as it were, uh, and the system can't keep up with it. And they find other ways of getting around, you know, the, the Great Wall of China. So bad news eventually gets out. Now, it doesn't get publicized as widely as in, say, the United States or in the West in general, uh, because the mass media is still tightly controlled by the state. But the truth is not. And in the past and before the Internet, you could basically control all the news. And North Korea was an excellent example of this, because one thing, when more and more North Koreans were getting out of North Korea, this only happened in the last 20 years, uh, you now got like 40,000, which is an enormous number of of North Koreans now citizens of South Korea. Uh, One thing the South Koreans discovered was that 
people are getting out. They were getting out for many reasons, mainly just to survive. Uh, it had become such a deadly environment in uh, in North Korea uh, that a lot of North Koreans realized it was worth risking your life, literally, to get across the border, to live quiet, to live to live illegally in China, and then to eventually pay a uh, a smuggler, as it were, to get you down to uh, Thailand or uh, Burma, where <coughs> you could reach a, a South Korean embassy. And the embassy had a deal where they could get you out to South Korea, where you've got all sorts of bennies. You've got South Korean citizenship. But worst of all, so to speak, <clears throat> according to a lot of these North Korean migrants, was the culture shock. They didn't realize how much better life was in South Korea. And this came as a real shock to the system. I mean, sometimes physically. Um, now, for the last 10 years, uh, you've had enormous smuggling of electronic media you know, uh, thumb drives or especially the, uh, the what do you call them, the micro, uh, the camera, you know, memory things. You can get, what, 100 gigabytes on one little size of a fingernail. Uh, these were smuggled out, you know, uh, increasingly or smuggled in, as it were, because they were a hot commodity. You could sell that content, again, at the risk of going to prison camp or being executed, uh, you know, and make a lot of money. But all they contained were South Korean soap operas, movies, uh, all sorts of, you know, anything that, uh, that appeared on, that was popular on South Korean television. Um, uh, news, especially newscasts, that was a real eye-opener in North Korea. Said, this is really happening, you know, and, uh, and, and, so, and this is what's really killing the North Korean government. They're trying to, you know, cope with this, and it's proving very difficult. So, again, what I guess it comes down to is, yes, you can, you can rewrite the past, but eventually you're going to be found out, and it's going to reflect on you a lot worse. Now, the only thing the revisionists have going for them, the rewriters, I shouldn't say revisionists, because a revision is usually somebody trying to get a, a clearer example. I mean, I think you're going to see a lot more revisionist, as it were, uh, histories of the, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the post-Civil War, post War South and the Democratic Party. Because that's a, that's a that's a a aspect of history that has been been, been you know uh, concealed by mutual agreement for for generations, but now it's coming out because you know it it it, it points out the absurdity of what Black Lives Matter is trying to achieve, not to attack the uh, the things that are killing most blacks, but just something that'll that'll get somebody some temporary political power if that, uh, and we'll soon find out how effective that is. Uh, so again, you got to be careful what you ask for. You might get it. And right. In this case, you know, people are saying, "Well, we want to know what happened in the past." And <laughs> my advice is, "Are you sure? Do you have right. any idea? You might be in for an unpleasant surprise." Uh, especially, I, I, I think a good example of that is what's happened at Princeton with uh, Woodrow Wilson all of a sudden <laughs> popping up as oh. a that. Oh, uh, he's one of the worst things to ever happen to the African Americans, to you know, the post-slavery, you know, uh, African Americans, because not only did he. He uh, segregate the uh, civil service, which was not segregated as part of the uh, as, of the uh, the reconstruction. I mean, you know, the uh, Lincoln, who was not really, he was willing to make a deal with slavery. I mean, you got to realize that in some countries, like uh, again, it's often useful to find out how other countries handle the similar problem. Uh, Brazil 
which was the the home of the the, the largest number of of, of uh, Africans in bondage, still in bondage. They did not free the slaves until uh, 1885, and even then there was a lot of yelling and screaming and threats of violence. But they have, they avoided the violence, but they didn't really liberate. In fact, one of the only places where there was a true you know liberation was in the British colonies. Uh, that were still colonies um, in the uh, eighteen. What was it? The eighteen twenties or eighteen something? I think yeah. Yeah, some, somewhere in something. that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah by, they, they in, by the eighteen thirties. By the eighteen thirties, okay. you can see that Jamaica. I forget the exact. Right. All right, but what they did was something that was proposed in the United States, but again, it was considered too expensive. Was they brought out the slave owners? Now, they did two things. One, yes, they, they basically had bonds. The English, the, the Indians did a similar thing when they brought out the, uh, the, the, the royal families, the, you know, the, the, uh, the aristocracy, the landholding aristocracy, and eliminated um, uh, basically uh, <coughs> you know, serfdom, which still existed in India for all practical matters. Uh, they issued bonds. They, they, they incurred a lot of debt. But they brought these people out. They gave the people the land. Agriculture became a lot more productive, and that basically, you know, was a life-saving thing in uh, in uh, in India. They didn't do that in Pakistan, and as a result, Pakistan, with a much with a much smaller population, has had a much more difficult time economically uh, because they didn't end it, you know, end the uh, the uh, the you know the large-scale land ownership that served them, as it were, uh, as the Indians did. But in Jamaica, in the English colonies, especially the Caribbean colonies, not only did they buy off the you know, slave owners, many of them were happy to take the money and go back to England, get away from the fevers and all the bad weather, but they established schools, which they already had for a lot of uh, uh, freedmen and what have you. And that's why when a lot of the uh, the islanders, as the Caribbean uh, blacks began uh, immigrating to the United States, or even to England, uh, they were much better educated. And of course, they spoke with a British accent, which certainly didn't hurt your employment opportunities. Um, and that, of course, caused resentment among, you know, uh, uh, American blacks because they hadn't had the 40 acres and a mule. I mean, that's where Reconstruction was headed. You know, bit by bit, uh, the Reconstruction effort realized that we need more money, we need more economic uh, uh, economic uh, freedom, as it were. Uh, and that's what the South, the, the, the basically the, the majority, the white majority, didn't want. And the Democratic Party said, well, we'll get it for you. We'll get all your property back, et cetera, et cetera. And they did it in spades, so to speak. Uh, that, and they also rewrote for a lot of Americans the history of the, of the Civil War. Uh, right. It was fashionable to say that the War of Northern Aggression, et cetera, et cetera. But basically, it was fought for economic uh, uh, purposes. The the agrarian, the plantation dominated South. See, something that again, a lot of people don't realize uh, was that the the Appalachian, the mountain states, as it were, the mountain territories, and the Appalachians go. They start literally. That's where I grew up. Within what I could walk to the where the Appalachian Trail was. Um, uh, it extends from Vermont all the way down to the uh, you know uh, the, the Mississippi, and those people they wanted nothing to do with secession. And many part while West Virginia we know became a, a separated from Virginia became a separate state. But that was that was just an extreme example throughout the 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 South where they had the Appalachians. Those areas were either under military occupation. 
by the Confederate military, or they were simply no-go zones. You know, the mountain people stayed to themselves, which is the way they normally prefer it, and you simply didn't go in there, you know, after escaped slaves or, or whatever. Um, and that's something that didn't really get written up. Uh, that did not become a part of the official history, as it were. Now, that's, again, that's all being revised, and I don't think it's going to be revised to a lot of people's, you know, uh, satisfaction, as it were. Yep. Uh, the same with uh, how the black boat was suppressed after Reconstruction and after enormous efforts on Grant's part while he was president to try to make sure that the blacks had the voting rights and like that. That's another thing that's been rewritten is is that uh, Chernow, the, the biographer of Hamilton, has also written a uh, biography of Grant of uh, that has basically brought him back into good standing, I would say, uh, and shown that he he continued the fight uh, for the rights of uh, African Americans after uh, the Civil War. And I that's why they're trying to tear down his statues, too. Yeah, that, that's weird. The same thing with the 54th Massachusetts statue. And Lincoln. Right. And Frederick Douglass. What is going on here? Well, that's what the... That, they trying to get behind. Yeah, that's the Antifa or Antifa or however you want to say it. Uh, uh, I'm part I of all of this. They brag about being Marxist, but what the hell does that mean anymore? Right, right. Well, uh, Jim, can you, all right, listen, there's something wrong with the uh, microphone. Uh, you're you're on, doing on fine, the, Austin. All right, all right. The, the thing is, I've listened to this. This is great stuff. I've had a, a, a couple of comments on this, but let me, let me make a comment on tearing down Grant statues or several prominent uh, union union generals like O.O. O. Howard. O.O. O. Howard. What university did he establish? Do you all remember? <laughs> Howard University, which is one of the most important uh, black educational institutions established in the, in the 19th century. And it, there's... Uh, there is a there are a slew, and most of them, of course, were Union Army. But Union senior Union Army officers, maybe not all of them were senior officers, that uh, continued to uh, fight for the uh, civil rights of freed slaves. That there's it's that uh, I, w I wonder when that's going to be thoroughly. Thoroughly and openly revisited. And I, one one other comment on Jim talking about the pro-unionists living in the uh, Appalachians. Most of it, I'll even be a little bit more specific. It would be down the kind of the central or eastern rim of the Appalachians, running from from West Virginia down to northern Alabama. You could see this crop up in the Union order of battles, like. Uh, Let's see. I think it's Second Alabama Cavalry, U.S. I <laughs> I believe that was one of uh, they were they were part of Sherman's bodyguard in the Army of the West for a while. Uh, some of these guys were either you know they were uh, uh, quote unquote hillbillies. You use that as a joke, but some of them were miners, and some of them were working in those uh, you know the, the iron uh, uh, iron mills in in. Uh, in northern Alabama, they had nothing to do 
with they wanted they had nothing to do with secession. They didn't have anything to do with it. You see it with a number of Tennessee units, and particularly Knoxville, the eastern Tennessee, didn't want to secede. And but you a number of Tennessee units that were uh, in the Army of the West, and uh, as as both you guys noted for a long time, these were rarely mentioned. I will point out, yes, there were some Northerners, particularly from Southern Illinois. Cairo area and the like, who served in Confederate infantry units in Tennessee. But the number of quote-unquote non-secessionist Southerners far outnumbered those that uh, from the North that, uh, that took the side of the uh, side of the South. I'm boggled by this, Jim. I know you're asking why tear down Grant's statue, but th- th- there's all this it's really a rich and fascinating history if people would pay attention to it. And the other thing is, it, uh, it depolarizes when you when you see what the Frederick Douglass, a totally admirable man, thought Lincoln was uh, was the answer, and he was. And they were going after a Frederick Douglass statue in Washington. I saw that on YouTube. Yeah, I. I'll be quiet now, guys. Yeah, I think I think that goes to the point that uh, what we've all known for a long time is the failure of our school systems to actually teach history anymore, and to teach it in a in a proper way. The the groups that are involved in the rioting, the the maliciousness are uneducated, uh, pasty white folk. Uh, that if you, <laughs> if you, if you take can, a look can at, you, can you be quoted on that? We're yes. Really get a lot out of that's a good quote. You know, that was uh, because a lot of the, if you look at who is actually tearing down the statues and like that, you, you have some African Americans mixed in there, but a lot of it is, uh, you know, college aged uh, white kids that are, I don't know, it's it's the moment. They want to be part of something and they have no idea what they're, they're really part of or what they're trying to do and, and uh, they're... <clears throat> They're misaimed, and they're misguided, and uh, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, and I, I, you know, we've gone over time, but I'd like to to finish up with this: is that personally, I have no problem if they want to not pull down the 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 statues of Civil War Southern generals and and put them someplace else other than in the public square and i personally have no problem it's always bugged me that we've had uh some of our most famous military institutions in the south named after southern generals uh you know bragg benning hood uh etc and uh because those uh those generals were traitors to the united states and uh, but i i want it done in a in a proper way not in a a you know let's burn down the system way Dan, let me let make a comment about that. I this is not something new for me. As a matter of fact, there was a discussion going on here uh, in Austin about a uh, quite some 
and involved a, a local church uh, that, that had a stained glass window that included back in a corner Robert E. Lee. And I was asked my opinion about it, and I said, I consider Lee to be a traitor. There are a lot of, of Union Army officers fellow West Pointers that thought the same thought the same thing, and they would use George Thomas, remember a Virginian <laughs> and a West Pointer, as a counterexample. He didn't resign his his commission, and you know he was ended up being one of the senior commanders in the Union Army, uh, despite being suspected because he was from Virginia. He didn't resign it because he'd sworn an oath uh, to defend the U.S. Con- uh, Constitution. But there were. There were some clear and conscious decisions made in April of 1865, and some of it has goes back. I know Jim knows this, but discussions between Sherman, who anybody could who said would be go easy on the South. I mean, he's he's was the wraith of the of the South, and talking to uh, the Confederate general Joe Johnston. And also some communications between the Army of the Potomac uh, uh, and Lee about how do we end this without starting an insurgency that was just going to go on forever, meaning with disgruntled Southern soldiers. So sell out, it was you Confederate officers get to keep your sabers and your sidearms. And those of you, you, you know, Southern soldiers who brought your own horses and mules, take them home. And we'll give you some food. And is that a payoff or was that an intelligent decision given the number of deaths that, that had been that had already been incurred in the war? You go back and you look at it in the moment and the, the, the discourse between Johnston and, and Sherman was extremely intelligent. And Sherman, come, when he comes back to Washington, is excoriated for being easy on the South. Uh, well, that's what media did in 1865 to one of the uh, top uh, two top generals in the uh, uh, Union Army, and certainly the one that broke the South's will uh, to fight, uh, William Tecumseh Sherman. Once again, why am I going off on this fascinating history? Gee, there was a reason. Now, the fact that the South, as Jim described, gets to come back and romanticize its, its, its rebellion uh, there's something to be said about why did media and academia of the time permit it? I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Story to be written. Yeah. Well, uh, we've gone over time, and uh, glad that you could join us at the end, Austin. And we will talk to you, gentlemen, next time. Take care. Bye. All right, Dan, before we hang up. Yes. Seems there's something wrong with the mic on the Plantronics. I have no idea what it is. It will not turn on. It will not turn off. Hmm. Now, can I get a new one? Can you send? I love this thing. I haven't dropped it. I have been suffering. You know, it worked. You know, last time we used it, I haven't been sitting in its plates in the in the uh, closet. Could you send me another one, or do I have? To? Sure. Right. Now we. I can have okay. Amazon send you a new one. All right. Uh, I'll, let me give you the address. I want you to no. send it. I'll, oh, I'll, you, I'll email it. All right. All right. Okay. Email it. Yep. That'll be All good. Right. Thank All you right. Guys. Bye. Bye.